Hi, and welcome to a bonus episode of the bonus content of the Weedy Weedy for the Pocha podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. That was a long introduction, but here's the deal. There's an extra long weekend, and I'll first start to say that even though the country as a whole celebrates Independence Day, the reality is that not all of us who live here are independent, so it's kind of a bittersweet celebration. Agreed. But... Um, since we have this extra long weekend, we're dropping an extra bonus content for you to listen to. And Charlene, this Weedy Weedy is dedicated to education. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. We're talking about education because of the recent Supreme Court decision with regards to the DACA program. And mm-hmm. they decided not that the program or get eliminating the program was itself wrong, just that the way that the administration went about doing it. And so the DACA program is often tied to education in that there's a lot of uh, young people who um, were under this program who want to further their education. And so tying that together um, with the push for education for immigrants who come here to better themselves Mm -hmm. was a natural fit for a conversation for the Weedy Weedy. And so we're opening up that, yeah, we're opening up that conversation. And Charlene, you and I are super tied in an interesting way because my father and my stepdad, my dad, were educators or involved in the education system in El Paso. And Mm -hmm. your mom. Yeah, my mom was a teacher for a really long time and then an elementary school principal forever. And um, I was a bilingual special education teacher for 13 years. So, yeah. So to start it off, um, what does education mean for you? So growing up, I definitely had the idea that education was the way to better income. Education was the way to my own liberation as a Chicana. Um, I don't want to have to rely on anybody, particularly a man. Yes, those were my mother's words. Uh, in order to be successful. And education was definitely touted as the path for my sister and I to do that. My mom used to say that we had to get a higher level of education than she had, or she would not feel that she had succeeded as a mom. So was, was the message about education more from your mom than your dad? Definitely. My mom, my dad didn't go to college. My dad right out of high school, um, chose to go into the army, went to Vietnam, and the skills that he learned in the service are what fueled his career following the military. So he definitely wanted us to go that path that my mom was was very adamant about. He didn't want us to fall into having to go feeling like we had to go into the military or something like that because he had he had a pretty negative experience and wanted better for for us so what about you so so I find it interesting before I answer that um, I find it interesting listening to you and um, from what from what I heard it sounds like when your mom tells you about education as being a pathway more as a woman to um to make sure that she could be on her own so for you and your sister Mm -hmm. you you don't have any um biological brothers so coming from that perspective, that's what I hear from you. Mm-hmm. Correct me. Definitely. No, definitely. And from what I, heard, what I heard from my parents, so on my mom's side, I'm first generation citizen. 
on my father's side, I'm second generation citizen. And whenever education was um, brought up as a topic, both my parents said it's a pathway as an immigrant to better your life, Mm -hmm. Um, especially from my mom. So my father did get his degree. He was a teacher. Um, And my mom, even she took some college classes. She got her GED, but she wasn't able to to go as far. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she really did impress upon my brother, my sister, and I to further our education. In fact, she wants me to get my master's degree and mm-hmm. and I'm kind of on that destiny to try to do that. But it was more a way to um, to further ourselves, not necessarily in a gendered role, but definitely as an immigrant. Like this mm-hmm. is the way that you need to better yourself. And that was that was definitely a push. Yeah. Well, and my mom, interestingly, so my mom was an educator in Las Cruces. And at the time when she was a teacher and trying to become an administrator, teachers as a profession was female dominated, but all of the administration was male. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So everyone in charge until her and a small group of other women who also many of them were also Chicana, Latina, got through the program and became administrators also. And I think she felt she always felt that gendered push um, that even in that female dominated space, the men were still in control. So she saw that as a way to have credibility behind why you should be in those decision-making spaces. Got it. Why did you become a teacher? Like what was the impetus? Uh, To quote our executive producer a while ago, um, because psychology was not a lucrative (laughs) profession uh, with a bachelor's degree. But really, I was I was living in Austin at the time. I had just graduated from St. Edward's University with a degree in psychology. Go Hilltoppers. Um, I know Hilltoppers. Hilltoppers. Yeah, it's like the little ram like with the curly horns. So, yeah, cute. Not intimidating, but cute. Um, so I had heard a, really a radio ad that was talking about the real shortage of special education teachers in the area. And there was this program that you could sign up for, and there were tons of people who applied. Somehow I was one of very small number of people that got picked and I was able to go through an emergency certification program for, um, special education. It was a year-long program. It was pretty intense, more than just um, online or whatever. It was it was in person. We had a cohort and all kinds of things were expected of us. But that's sort of how I got into it. And I remember my first my first job was teaching three, four, and five year olds that had disabilities. Some were pretty severe. And my first day, I was super excited meeting all the new people and all the teachers and they were like, Oh, this person's going to be your teacher's assistant. And she was just this, I don't know. She had this presence and I just wanted to hug her. And I did. And she looked at me and said, don't touch me. And wow, that was, 
Uh huh. Day one. That sort of burst my bubble a tiny little bit, but we went on to become amazing good friends. My daughter's middle name is after her. Uh, she was just such a huge inspiration in my life. And she was one of the best teachers I've ever seen. So thank God that I was put in Estela's path because even though she was a teacher's assistant, she was a teacher in her heart. Like She knew exactly what to do. Um, and that first year of teaching was my favorite. It was my absolute favorite. I had no doubt in my mind that that's where I was supposed to be. And... And I fought it because my mom would always be like, oh, you're a natural teacher. You're going to be a teacher. And of course, I was like, the last thing I'm going to do is be like you. So hell no, I'm not going to be a teacher. <laughs> and then there I was and I loved it. So it was definitely by accident. But once I was there, I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved it. And some days were super hard. And I taught in a very poor neighborhood in Austin, a very brown neighborhood in Austin. And... It had a bad reputation, and I loved every second of it. I loved every minute of it. Our families were so supportive. The kids were amazing. The staff was like family. I still talk to some of them after almost 20 years. So uh, I know, oh my God, I say that out loud, and it sounds horrible. But uh, it was great. It was a wonderful experience. I, I, I loved it. So I'm going to ask you a follow-up and bringing it back to – the borderland area and how education really is such a privilege because mm-hmm. reading and writing is not a commonality across the world, right? Across mm-hmm. the globe. So being educated really is a privilege. Um, in your teaching experience, and I'll, I'll say that it's you know definitely different from Austin in that we are really in the borderland area, right? So we're going to mm-hmm. have a lot more uh, immigrant families here in Cruces in the El Paso area than you would mm-hmm. have in, in Austin, just by sheer proximity to the border. Um, did you as a teacher see a difference between students who are from either first gen or second gen immigrant families versus those who are not? I would actually argue that there, I mean, and of course per capita, because Austin's huge, but there were a ton of immigrant families mm-hmm. at the, in the neighborhood where I was. I mean, just because we're, girl, we're near the borderland. People cross, they're trying to get the hell away. Go right to the middle of the, the nation. <laughs> I ain't trying to stay here before ICE is about to come get me. But I no, I literally remember, and this was many years ago, but there would be ICE raids on uh, diff- in different neighborhoods and kids would come home and, and their parents would be gone. They would raid butcher shops. And um, I remember, especially after Katrina hit, a lot of people came in from Katrina and ICE really used that as an opportunity to deport people that didn't have a home in that moment. And it was so freaking sad. It was awful. I, I mean, I remember some of our older students who were not my students because I was teaching the little ones, but um, who would just were crying and devastated and were trying to find who they were going to go live with because, you know, their parents had been deported and they didn't know where they were going to um, – when they were going to see them again or if they were going to see them again. So it, it was, it was pretty devastating. And, and again, the, the neighborhood where I was at was, um, I mean, the Paletero literally lived three houses down from me. There were all, I mean, it was a Mexican neighborhood. There were a ton of butcher shops and 
like little tienditas that were very, you know, all the signs in Spanish. Um, so it was definitely a thing. It was definitely a thing. I remember our, one of my favorite janitors, her name was Santos, and she was a beautiful, sweet woman, older woman. And she had come from Mexico and what was just trying to give her kids a better life through education. Exactly that. And she um, worked three jobs. Her husband worked, I don't know how many jobs. And she had a daughter in law school. Wow. At UT. And it was like, that's the dream. That's why she was here. So I saw it on a lot of different levels in, in that experience teaching in Austin. From my point of view, and in, and I've got an incredibly limited, you know, circle of people to, to, to base any kind of solid opinion on, but the closer, for me, the closer you are to your parents being immigrants or your grandparents being immigrants, like the harder the hustle and the more mm-hmm. towards education you lean. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, there was no question whether or not our the three of us, my brother, sister, and I, should be furthering our education. Two mm-hmm. of us have degrees, one of us does not, not because of a lack of trying, just because, you know, life got caught up and then children started happening. But when I talk to our kids, I don't push, like, I'm not like, you're going to go to college. It's, okay, maybe college isn't right for you. Maybe there's a trade school. Mm-hmm. And if those two don't work out, then you got to have mad hustle in order to make it in this world. But there really isn't the same, like my mom was like, there's no question. You, I, for a split second said, oh, I want to join the army. And my mom said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You are going to get your education, period, end of statement. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I, I see that in, at least, like I said, in my little microscopic world of the push for education and the harder work for it. And on my mom's side of the family, I've got like a dozen nurses. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my tias has a master's degree. Um, yeah, there was that mad push for it and they did it and they're, they're achieving. But then my cousin's kids, there's not exactly the same push. No, I think you have a great point. I think, and I will, maybe this is a stereotype or an overgeneralization, but I certainly saw as an educator the farther away from that first gen status, the less it was seen as a privilege, the less it was seen as, I mean, the closer to first gen, those parents and families were like, you better listen to the maestra because if you don't, I, we had full respect and we were treated as professionals farther down. And again, generalization, there are totally exceptions, but further down the line, you have parents blaming, pointing fingers. You're not doing enough. You should be blah, 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 blah. And, and the kids, the attitudes were different. Absolutely, the attitudes were different. And interesting that you say a lot of your family that had the education push went into a helping profession. They're not going to school to be a CEO. They're not going to school yeah. to own some big company. They're trying to be part of the helping community. Yeah. Interesting. Very true. Very true. I didn't, I didn't think of it in those terms, but yeah, I remember my, when I was younger, I was, I think I was in high school when, um, I kind of, I told my, my father on the side, like, yeah, I think I want to be a teacher. And he said, do not become (laughs) a teacher. Why was that? Um, 
You know, I think his experience was different than yours. I don't know what his motivation was, and he's passed on. I don't know what his mm-hmm. motivation was to become a teacher, but I don't think he found it as fulfilling as you did. Mm-hmm. I think for him it was kind of a pro- profession. The fulfillment that I did see from him was from the students that he would see after the fact. So he taught like 7th, 8th grade, so middle school um students and over the years you know you go to Kmart or you go to Safeway or whatever and you couldn't walk down an aisle without someone being oh, like yeah. maestro or profesor mm-hmm. um and that was his gratification I don't so I don't think mm-hmm. in the profession itself he got the same as you did at the very least mm-hmm. um and I don't think he wanted that for me but he did really push hard for my brother and I to be uh, to go um be part of like U.S. Customs or Border oh, Patrol. Was like, There's a lot of opportunity there. Mm, so that was, yeah, that was his kind of like, if you can't make it, because I got a journalism degree and, you know, at the time we were at the cusp of journalists matter and now we're at the, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> the newspapers are closing left and right. Right. Oh, it, and, and it, I mean, for me, a lot of what built that experience to be positive was the attitude of the staff that I was surrounded with, the attitudes of the families. Uh, I mean, like I said, we were we were revered as professionals and it was more than a paycheck. It was, um, and I definitely lost that feeling the longer I taught. So, you know, in your, in your father's defense, I lost that love and feeling uh, in the <laughs> education system and, um, and left. So, um, but I, I mean... I remember we had this little guy, he was probably four at the time, and he would refuse to get on the bus, refuse, like, and he had a a lot of disabilities and other things going on, but he would refuse to get on the bus and the mom, so he would get to school and refuse to let the mom go. The mom would be crying, the kid would be crying, and it was ridiculous, right? So Estela tells him, if you don't get on the bus tomorrow, I'm going to go to your house and make sure you get on the bus because you're a big boy and you need to be on the bus. And he's like, whatever. So sure enough, he didn't get on the bus that next day. So the day after that, sure shit, we went to his house. <laughs> um, yeah, this feels like this could not happen in today. And this was not that long ago, but it feels like this could not happen without it sounding super creepy and, I don't know, horrible. But we go to his house. The mom brings him out of his room. And I remember the look on his face like, the fuck are you doing at my house? <laughs> he was not having it. And he went... He. Estela got him right on the bus, walked him up to the door. He got on the bus. The mom was crying. He was looking with his sad little eyes out the window, and he got to school, and we got him off, and he rode the bus every day after that. I mean, probably to this day. Damn. It was a trip. But it was it was community. It was community. Because you cared. Exactly. It wasn't an empty threat. You cared enough to go over there. Mm-hmm. Ah. Well, kind of bringing it full circle to like DACA and even Dreamers. So they're two mm-hmm. different like programs and there's, you know, if you want to Wikipedia the heck out of them, otherwise I'd flap my lips for 15 minutes. But in the work that I do, I've, um, I've worked closely with um, some of the members of the Dream Team, like the New Mexico Dream Team. And there's a chapter at NMSU and I went to one of their meetings to talk about something that we were doing, like a project we were doing. And so we were kind of recruiting some of the dream team from, from the university to go do this project with us. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll probably do it now. But as I was talking to them, I really did break down and cry 
because they're doing something that like our parents would have, or at least in my case, my, my parents, my mom would have liked to have had that opportunity to, as Mm -hmm. a young person, go to school, Mm -hmm. even if you couldn't pay, you know, even if you couldn't get financial aid or whatever. And I, you know, I'm trying to tell them like, Hey, this is what I do. This is the thing. Thank you for the opportunity to come in and speak to you. And by the way, it's super, super important that you're doing this and I admire Mm -hmm. it. And you're doing something that my mom couldn't do. Yeah. And, you know, I still see them around. Like, it's a small town. I've seen them around. Mm-hmm. And one and two of them graduated this year. And I was mm-hmm. just so happy that they had that, that they had that opportunity to further their education. Yeah. And, and being the, you know, for some kids who grow up with more affluent families, you have all this help and support to fill out a college application or to know, you know, your guidance counselors trying to get you into Yale, not pushing the military, or when there's career fairs at your school, you're not drawn to the police officer training table or the army table. You're trying to look for that higher education. So it starts, it starts really early. And so for those people who are really, they're bursting through the unknown, it's, it's five times as difficult. Absolutely. And, you know, we can, uh, education is such a huge umbrella of an issue. You could certainly go into withholding as education as a punishment or mm. what they teach as far as immigration in the schools itself and how, for example, going to a Texas school, they never taught us about the Texas Rangers lynching Mexican families. Mm. They only taught us that the Texas Rangers were this amazing law enforcement group mm-hmm. that that is a symbol of what Texas is. And we have a baseball team named after them. So we could totally go into that. But, you know, just this recent Supreme Court decision really just me, me, what is it? Me aprendí el foco. Like the mm-hmm. light went off in my head about just like that push and how I'm super grateful that my mom did push for us to be educated. And I'm super grateful that my father, he was a hoarder of books and we had mm. bookcase upon bookcase upon bookcase in the basement mm. of books like in French, in, in Russian, um, in Japanese, like all these languages we couldn't read, but we had them because that was important to him to have these books and have them mm-hmm. available. Mm. And that, I mean, it's important as edu- as an educator to recognize the differences. I've, I got in so many arguments with teachers who did not have the capacity to understand that a kid might not have crayons or pencils at their house to do their homework. It was like, how could they not have a pencil? That's just an excuse. Like, no, they don't have running water. Pretty sure they don't have a fucking pencil. You have to step outside of what you know to be able to truly understand what you're battling I mean, you might not be battling laziness because that's the easy excuse teachers would throw out. You might be totally battling something else like poverty and families who are dealing with incarcerated family members and all kinds of other stuff. It's it's so intense. And, and now that we're in this time of really bringing race to the forefront and racist systems, I mean, the education system was developed to train people in the ways of Christianity to train uncivilized societies like indigenous peoples to be quote unquote civilized and follow what 
white Christians were doing. Um, so it, it's, it's a racist system. It was not rooted in equality. I mean, there have been laws passed to try to make it equal, which we could argue that all day too. Um, you can say schools were desegregated 50 years ago, but if you look at how property taxes fund schools, right. you know that schools in poor neighborhoods don't have the same things that schools in affluent neighborhoods do. So there's a lot. It's a long, it's a long road. Very true. And, you know, in, in current times, one of the things that has been brought up is um, now that there's home learning and they're trying to do it virtually, just the the who has the broadband, who can join mm-hmm. virtually. And yes, there are some people who have cell phones, right, that are smartphones. But if you aren't, the reality is if you're not connected to a Wi-Fi or a hotspot or something, trying to join a Zoom classroom just Mm -hmm. by just by your regular internet connection from your smartphone just doesn't work and that's been especially in new mexico i shouldn't say especially there's a lot of states around the united states that have rural areas that don't have service but Mm -hmm. you know in the work that we do it was really super you know poignant in in pointing out just how even in some of the larger cities in new mexico and by larger city, I mean small still in comparison to other mm-hmm. states. Some parts of larger cities just didn't have access. Yep. So, yeah, Agreed. education is just a, a privilege that we that we take for granted sometimes. Like, I, I definitely have in my, in my life taken it for granted that I've had that, that opportunity, that privilege. Not, mm-hmm. not even just a bachelor's degree, but seriously, just to get your mm-hmm. high school diploma was a privilege in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was always seen as an expectation for me. Um, and I've had to come back and circle back to the fact that it was a privilege. I mean, this is not a constitutional right. A lot of people think it is. It's not. Education is not in the Constitution. The 14th Amendment gives us that. And then there are all these laws that make it so that if you have an educational system, it has to be free. It has to be appropriate. It has to meet the needs of the children. Um, And we still can't do that, which is why we have like the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit happening in New Mexico, where they've said you are failing the most at risk children, the indigenous children, the second language learner children, you are failing them. Um, And if you look at our rankings in education, every year uh that that shows that that is true we're failing our children um and the answer the answer is complex and we don't have time to talk about it in you know this show but is education still the american dream is it the path to success in part i mean i think there's a lot of paths to a quote-unquote success and that's also depending on what you define as success um but that pathway is still considered a privilege and not everybody has that not everybody has that period but what i've what i've told the kids is like in order to 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 live a life where you're decently comfortable you either got to have the hustle or you got to have the smarts Mm -hmm. so if if education's not going to be the way that you want to go about doing it, great. Then you've just got to have the hustle. Right. Because, you know, it's and I'm not talking about living in a mansion. I'm just talking about being able to put food on your table, being able to support a family, 
um, buy the things that you want to have in life, whether it's mm-hmm. nice rims or whether it's, you know, just a decent running car, you got to have one of those two things. And I might be completely like narrow minded on that and have blinders about it. But those two things for me are, are what I see as ways to make it. And so if those are the two like biggest ones, then yeah, definitely for me, education is one of the pathways to being able to make it out. And education could also be street smarts. Like, damn, you know, mm-hmm. some of those, some of the folks who do their uh, survive by using the street economy, they still have to have the street smarts and be smart in that way to be able mm-hmm. to learn, cope, pay, you know, all of the things. Well, you have to know who's dangerous and who's not. You have to know what parts of the, you know, what are signs, trust your intuition. There, there are a million different ways to be intelligent for sure some of the most quote-unquote intelligent people who have achieved monetary success have zero emotional intelligence can't read a fucking room like there's a lot of ways to define that for sure you said something earlier that i wanted to dig into a little bit more to see what you meant what did you mean by withholding education as a punishment so in school if you get in trouble, you are pushed aside from being able to learn with everybody else. So withholding that education mm-hmm. is used as a punishment. Mm-hmm. And in my brain, that was part of the whole um, pipeline, like school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. of withholding that education as the punishment. Maybe it's because there's the internal racism of you're just not going to go anywhere anyway. Look at your family background mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever that is, but that's part of that system. Right. Um, sure. So just withholding that, that education is a key to getting to whether it's success or not, just withholding education as a punishment. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's so interesting to me. And it's actually when you distill it down, the reason that I left the classroom that right there, um, it felt so counterintuitive to say this kid is acting out in part because they don't understand the work and can't do the work. So we're going to send them to a place where they're not continuing to get taught how to do the skills and how to do the work and expect that when they come back from this punishment where they had no social interaction and no teaching, um, they're going to be better. And then people were shocked when that didn't work. What the hell? Like, are you paying attention to what just happened? And I, you know, I started to um, have some really aggressive young students who are very violent. And I know that for some people who are not in a classroom or school system, you're like, okay, how violent can a kindergartner be? You would be surprised. You'd be shocked. Uh, It was terrifying and it was dangerous and it was heartbreaking and the first answer was get them suspended get them expelled get them put into a segregated unit where they can be with other kids like them of course there's all kinds of pretty ways to describe how we are putting them in a smaller classroom environment and giving them you know better materials to meet their current needs and all this other shit. But really you're just segregating kids and putting them with the other kids who don't know how to behave and then expecting them to learn how to behave in that environment. And I, I, there had, I thought there had to be a better way. And so I left the classroom and, um, 
I went, I, my intention was to go through a school psychology program where I could provide mental health services and start breaking down some of those services that are necessary for these families because it's, it's not all school and I'm not trying to blame schools. This goes deeper than what a school can provide, but the answers that school is providing are also not getting us to a solution. So I find it funny that research has shown smaller classrooms are better for children to learn. They're better for teachers. Um, and yet we didn't have the funding and we couldn't do that. But hello, COVID. And now guess what? 50% <laughs> capacity. Now we can do it. Everybody's going to learn. Every, we, we're going to make every distance learning available for everybody. And, and it's, uh, maybe it's a silver lining. I don't know. To be seen. A lot of things are to be seen. The way that they are, um, the way that they're having the, the, the school district here in Crucis go back to school is super fascinating for me. And I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> fascinating <laughs> emphasis on the ass. <laughs> you know, part of, part of the beauty of, of the education system or just going to school is at that age, your entire life is your social life, right? Mm -hmm. And if you, the modified learning that they are looking at implementing for the upcoming um, school year is a couple days at school and then a couple days learning from home. And I wonder what that's going to do long term. Um, we have two children mm -hmm. still left in high school who are going to have to go through this. Um, mm -hmm. And just seeing what, what this does to them long term. I mean, this seems like a un rather unfortunate experiment. But yeah, mm -hmm. here we are. Just that's going to be the experiment. That's well, sad. Uh, this whole year has been an incredible mix of shitty events and also <laughs> really important Supreme Court <laughs> decisions, uh, one of which is the, the DACA decision. You know, the, the administration is still looking at eliminating the program. Again, the Supreme Court decided it not that the program was um, itself needing to be defended, but the way that they eliminated was what they were deciding on. But this just put an emphasis on what f for us education meant and just mm -hmm. having that weedy weedy, that conversation internally, and then you and I about what education means to us and what it means for families who do come here in the borderland area and beyond, who are immigrants, mm -hmm. who come here to better themselves, better their, their, their lives and their lives for their kids. For sure. This is the Pocha Podcast. This is. And this was the bonus, bonus content Weedy Weedy, talking yeah. education. We'll be back with you at our regular date and time on the 15th and on mm -hmm. the 30th, giving you all the pocha you need in your life. And where else can uh -huh. they find us? Well, not at the bar, because that's about to be shut down again. People can't wear masks and behave. Um, you can find us on social media, though. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Uh, and if you're listening, give us a shout out. We've had a couple people reach out in the last few days talking about how they liked uh, people were loving the quinceanera episode, Kat. And I think it was pretty powerful because we were in all our fields. We're, every day we're in all our fields. That's true. At least that, that's, <laughs> that's where I find myself <laughs> as of late. Every day there's no, <laughs> some roller coaster of feels. But yes, this is the Pocha Podcast. We always enjoy reaching out to you and talking about that intersection of uh, Brown and Proud and assimilation, in particular in the Borderland area. 
and we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.